welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Ines, and today we're uncovering COVID-19 one year later. Professor Bob Hartwig reflects on the impact the pandemic had on the insurance industry and the challenges that still lie ahead. Plus, COVID relief bill nears its final passage and improving flood resiliency, how Congress is laying the groundwork for future legislation to strengthen the nation's infrastructure. But first, as Congress focuses on improving flood resiliency across the United States, the Build Strong Coalition and the Pew Charitable Trust hosted a webinar exploring the policy opportunities to expand and incentivize disaster resilience for residences, lifeline infrastructure, and communities. North Carolina Representative David Price was one of the panelists who shared the importance of preparing communities ahead of disasters through mitigation and strong construction techniques to help stop the cycle of rebuilding in the same way in the same places after every storm. I live in a state that's battered by hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, ice storms, and all sorts of uh, natural hazards. So I can confidently uh, declare that we and um, members of Congress from across the country, really, are finally seeing the light in terms of um, uh, mitigation and, and the kinds of strategies we need to adopt to uh, uh, deal with the damage, but also to uh, mitigate the damage and limit the damage in future events. We're starting to realize that uh, resiliency is no longer something we can treat as something nice to have. It's something we've got to have. So there's a political consensus. I've seen the change in attitudes here after um, years of hurricanes that have often hit the same targets repeatedly. There is a there are changes in attitudes and there's a growing political consensus that we've got to incorporate robust resiliency principles into our federal programs that uh, routinely fund, finance, and facilitate construction or maintenance of our infrastructure. The congressman praised the work of the Build Strong Coalition and Pew and also discussed his recently introduced bill called the Flood Resiliency and Taxpayer Savings Act of 2021. Representative Price's bill would require federal agencies to take into account future flood risk and incorporate the appropriate flood safeguards when designing and carrying out construction projects that are funded with federal dollars. Another new bill to address the issue of climate financial risk was also unveiled this month in Washington. The bill would require the Federal Insurance Office to issue a report on how best to modernize climate risk insurance regulation. It would also establish a permanent committee on the Financial Stability Oversight Council comprised of experts in climate science and financial risk who would make recommendations on how to improve the United States' ability to identify and mitigate climate risk. NAMIC is working with the FIO and bill sponsors to educate policymakers on the industry's commitment to combating climate risk. Democratic lawmakers in Congress will look to give the Biden administration its first legislative win with the passage of the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package. The bill is expected to pass Congress today and would provide $1,400 checks for most Americans and direct billions of dollars to schools, state and local governments, and businesses. 
Well, with the one-year anniversary of the COVID-19 shutdown upon us, we're beginning to see a downward trend in the spread of the virus across the country, with positivity rates finally dropping. You may recall at the beginning of the pandemic, we spoke with Professor Bob Hartwig, director of the Risk and Uncertainty Management Center at the University of South Carolina, about the impacts he predicted the coronavirus would have on the insurance industry. Well, now today on our Unscripted segment, Bob is back for another candid conversation with our own Chuck Chamness to reflect on what actually came to pass, how insurers fared, and the challenges that still lie ahead. Well, thanks for joining us today, Bob, and welcome back to the podcast. Very glad to be here once again, Chuck. Uh, it's amazing uh, how fast a year has gone by. I know. It is hard to believe. It's been almost a year since you and I sat down last for a visit. Of course, we sat down virtually because we were like two weeks into what we expected to be maybe a few weeks, maybe a couple months of, uh, you know, a pandemic that had just started. And, uh, of course, it's 12 months later, and here we are again basically in the same position. Uh, clearly, the toll of COVID-19 on the world is unprecedented, and it's also had a significant impact on our industry, which is really what we're here to talk to you about again. You gave a great early take on um, you know, what was uh, to come. We, of course, talked a lot about business interruption, which was just uh, at the time being revealed. In fact, I referenced in our, our first um, conversation We've both been quoted in the Wall Street Journal. I think that was one of the early business interruption uh, stories uh, right. back on the day we reported it. So, mm -hmm. so I guess first question: After a year of dealing with the pandemic, um, how would you describe how our industry is done? Well, um, I've I've done some uh, retrospective analysis on this and looked at some of the early predictions that were made April, May, and June of of 2020, and uh, they were pretty much uh, doom and gloom type predictions, and uh, we were seeing. Uh, enormous projections for uh, increases in losses in, in certain lines, such as workers' compensation and, of course, uh, business interruption uh, in a few other areas, perhaps like a general liability and D&O as well, uh, and uh, perhaps even some negative consequences for, for personal auto um, as the pressure to uh, provide essentially rate discounts or refunds or rebates uh, began to grow uh, early last year also. But as it turns out, uh, and this is quite amazing as the final results for 2020 trickle in, um, unbelievably, there is no discernible impact on the industry's combined ratio. Pre-COVID, uh, in February of 2020, AM Best estimated that the 2020 combined ratio would be 99.1. Uh, uh, the most recent data show that it will be 99.3. Uh, and so it essentially obscures what a dramatic year we had, uh, very much in the same way that the end of the year performance, for instance, in the stock market, which looked phenomenal, obscured the fact that the equities market shed a third of their value uh, in March and February of, of last year. So, so much more went on behind the scenes than we actually see in the annual results. And there are some very um, key reasons and important reasons for that. Uh, there are an enormous number of countervailing uh, effects. Uh, there's no question, for instance, that uh, workers' comp saw an increase uh, in claims associated with for instance, healthcare workers and other frontline workers, including very serious uh, uh, cases of COVID, uh, costs associated with quarantine, and, and even hundreds of deaths. At the same time, those were uh, more than offset, as it turns out, 
by uh, reduction in frequency elsewhere in the economy, such as reduced driving by truck drivers, for instance. And uh, we saw those kind of countervailing effects elsewhere uh, in areas like uh, personal auto. Uh, we saw them um, in, in various commercial lines as well, such as commercial auto. Uh, and so net-net, uh, amazingly, there was effectively no change in the industry's underwriting performance 2020 over 2019. Um, and uh, I will also say that um, as I've looked uh, and taken my retrospective analysis here, uh, there were some pretty substantial doom and gloom assumptions about what would happen in areas like business interruption. Uh, the worst case scenarios for being, uh, business interruption and workers' comp did not materialize. Now, that's on the loss side. On, on the premium side, uh, the projections were for uh, anywhere from about 12 to 25% of workers' comp premiums to essentially evaporate uh, in, in 2020, uh, with uh, lesser amounts, maybe about 4% or so uh, in personal auto. And as it turns out, uh, what we're looking at is uh, perhaps somewhere more along the lines of, uh, of an 8% to 8.5% decline in workers' compensation. That's what I'm seeing uh, through the numbers we have so far. Uh, about a one and a half to two percent decline in private passenger auto. Uh, and really the only other major line showing uh, a decline of any material magnitude would be inland marine about two, two and a half percent from the data we have at the current point in time. Uh, some other lines um, finished relatively flat um, and some lines um, actually finished up for the year uh, surprisingly. So all in all, uh, it was, uh, well, not a great year um, uh, with respect to COVID, of course. Um, it, it was nowhere near as bad as anticipated. And in fact, obscured by the headlines of COVID uh, was the fact that uh, it was a pretty substantial year for catastrophe losses. It was one of the top five years ever for insured catastrophe losses, which, again, um, uh, partially offset some of the uh, the, the, the favorable loss uh, that we saw, uh, favorable uh, declines we saw in, in some lines that were affected by COVID. Well, it is amazing. It reminds me of the old proverb, the duck swimming above the water. It looks all calm and smooth, but below the water, there is a lot of action going on. And that it, is there, the story of, of this year. It, it is. And, uh, you know, really, you're going to have to be an insurance historian uh, when you look back at those data uh, 10 years from now and people will wonder and scratch their heads, why isn't there more evidence of what happened in a really tumultuous year um, in the actual annual results that are being reported by the industry? And um, so uh, for students of insurance history, it's going to be an interesting period for quite some time to study. Well, and the most interesting thing about your first answer is I don't think you mentioned the term remote work and to consider that every aspect of all of that moving below the water we were talking about, every aspect of it was done in an almost entirely remote environment with people out of the office. Uh, you know, I know in our case of our insurance company, Namico, they had planned a surprise day of work from home to see how the systems work just by coincidence later in March. Of course, they got the real world test as did all of our industry essentially you know, in the middle of March, and it still hasn't stopped. So layer that on and tell us, you know, how do you see that, um, you know, as, an, as a factor in, in the last year's results? 
Well, exactly. I, I mean, now this was not just isolated uh, or unique to the insurance world, but just think about last year with about $67 billion in insured catastrophe losses, the third uh, worst year ever, with a record 5 million claims, according to PCS. So um, the insurance industry um, had to not only adjust to COVID and all the challenges of COVID, uh, but one of the worst year ever, years ever in terms of insured catastrophe losses with uh, the most claims ever filed in a single year for catastrophes. Um, and we're talking about an industry that continued to grow um, in, the, in the midst of the pandemic. So, um, so customers had to be serviced, um, uh, of course, uh, for the claims, uh, for the special needs they had during COVID, um, and, and for a variety of other unique circumstances that were impacting them last year. And um, with this, the insurance industry managed to adjust uh, in the United States and really globally without a hitch. So it's a testimony to the, the resilience of this industry and the ability to adapt. I, I'm sure, Chuck, that you, you share my opinion on this, that uh, I think that the insurance industry gets um, an undeserved um, um, uh, opinion about it, that it is kind of old and stodgy and, and slow to change. Uh, right. When in fact, uh, I, you know, my <laughs> nearly 30 years in the industry now uh, suggests that in fact it's the opposite. It's it's an industry. It may not be the fastest to change, but um, in an industry that really has a fiduciary responsibility to hundreds of millions of people and businesses uh, in this country alone, it's it's not the one that you want to be uh, changing at the speed of the price of Bitcoin. Um, but it is one uh, that you want to be able to uh, to see adjust to the circumstances of the times. And if we go back to the earliest days of Lloyd's or we go to the earliest days of, uh, you know, the contributorship in, in Philadelphia and Ben Franklin and up to the current day. Um, I've seen many carriers, for instance, um, rapidly roll out the use and train more people in the use of drones so that they could, for instance, adjust claims from afar. It was essentially contactless uh, claims adjustment, uh, roll out software uh, that would allow them to uh, uh, process maybe using AI technologies based uh, simply on photographs taken by the policyholder of minor fender bender type claims. And, and so one thing is true, I, I believe, uh, that's coming out of COVID that is beneficial, and this is happening in other industries, is we probably have accelerated the adoption of certain types of technology that were coming anyway, but they've probably been moved forward, uh, by my estimate, somewhere anywhere between you know, 24 to 36 months. And, uh, uh, and, and so we're getting the kinks out in a hurry, uh, and, but I think that will help make the industry uh, more efficient and more consumer friendly uh, in the years ahead, sooner than would otherwise be the case. I mean, I, I, I agree with all of that. And uh, I do think it's a great, uh, you know, real world response to some of the discussion around our industry of, uh, you know, Luddite, uh, technology laggard, uh, et cetera. And it's just not, not true. Let's return to um, to BI, particularly focus on the media here. We know as an industry, it's hard for us to respond to those kinds of articles like you know, were being written a year ago when we were talking about, you know, why don't you cover this? I mean, it's a technical, um, you know, industry that relies on contract language, which can be different, although in most cases, BI was, um, you know, relatively consistent. Um, but what kind of advice can you give us going forward and you're an insurance uh, communications expert and media relations expert? Um, what can we learn from last year that we can apply in future years in terms of 
speaking for the industry um, on issues like this. Yeah, I mean, there there are a number of lessons to be learned, and I and I think that getting out in front of the issue as as rapidly as possible and targeting uh, those individuals uh, who are responsible for drafting legislation um, and potentially thereby you know incentivizing uh, litigation that that really has no no basis, but nevertheless gets filed. Um, uh, I, I think that the the the, the industry trades. Um, got out in front of this reasonably quickly. Um, but again, it was an issue that was, was not anticipated. And, um, and, and so, uh, it, the, I think if we step back actually from COVID, what, what I've learned from experiences, say going all the way back to events like Katrina and for, and, and nine 11 is, is that if you get out in front of the issue with data and information very, very quickly, uh, you can help control the narrative. In fact, you can, you can dominate the narrative um, at, at some point. Um, and I, I think that was the case uh, here as well. I think eventually the case was made, and I think very strongly, that, uh, that in the case of business interruption, for example, there was clearly never any intent to, uh, to provide coverage of, of this nature, given the massive potential exposure to the industry, which was many times orders of magnitude larger than the entire uh, capital base uh, of the property casualty insurance industry, even exceeding uh, the, the, the capacity of any reinsurance that would have come into play here. And I, I think that that argument ultimately was um, persuasive, uh, certainly by the summer, uh, with uh, those individuals who I think really mattered, which would have been, for instance, state insurance departments. Um, state insurance departments, uh, by and large, uh, were not standing on their soapboxes uh, demanding that insurers pay these business interruption claims because they knew that at the end of the day, if there were mass insolvencies in the PNC insurance industry, uh, this would be egg all over their face and, um, and it would literally bring down uh, the state's economy uh, at a time when these state's economies were already extremely fragile. And so making that link between um, the fact that the insurance industry is in fact one of the one of the legs of the stool uh, that was holding up the global economy at a time when it was very very fragile was a very important point and it can and, and I think that point was made intuitively um, to to public policymakers. Uh, that won't stop individuals from grandstanding, uh, and by that I mean uh, trial lawyers and, and, and certain legislators who are always going to grandstand at times like this. They, they, they repeatedly do this after uh, major catastrophes of every sort, and they, they feel there's no downside risk and there's a, a lot of good um, sound bites that they can get out of it. Uh, but uh, I, again, I think you know, NAMIC and, and others got out ahead of this uh, uh, quickly demonstrated that um, that undermining the insurance industry by destroying the integrity of the insurance contract would benefit absolutely no one. Uh, and despite what I think has been uh, very vigorous forum shopping by trial lawyers today, I, I think that we've gotten to a point here in the United States where um, where the, the risk from these business interruption claims has gone from what some people estimated could be tens of billions of dollars to uh, to be isolated to um, 
peculiarities in claim language associated uh, in peculiarities in policy language associated with a number of, of a number of carriers. So um, it'll it'll probably be the most of uh, we'll, it'll be you know late 2021 before we really get a handle on what these final numbers are. Uh, but at this point, um, I don't think that this is an event that um, is, is threatening the financial security of, of the industry. But it, but it was a learning event, and it once again illustrated the point that facts can actually dominate uh, the dialogue uh, if given an opportunity uh, to do so. Yeah. Um, well, I think the other element that was uh, perhaps a bit unusual is the very organized uh, communications um, yeah. vehicles that were used by you know, one trailer in particular. Uh, right. Landmark first case. But uh, all right, well, we're, we're almost out of time, but I know our listeners would be disappointed if I didn't ask you a going forward question, which is, What's 2021 looking like for the industry um, as we're now approaching the end of the first quarter? Right. So 2021 was uh, looking uh, quite good in terms of the, the economic outlook, particularly for the second part of the year. We are potentially going to approach 10% growth in real GDP uh, by the time we reach the third quarter of this year. So that's uh, uh, there's, a, there's an enormous amount of demand pent up uh, as a result of COVID. And so uh, just ordinary human nature uh, will suggest that, uh, uh, that we're going to want to get out there and make up for some lost time. But from an economic perspective, um, there's an enormous amount of cash sitting on the sidelines, uh, both in terms of households and in terms of corporations. So that with a longer change in um, you know, uh, public sentiment and business sentiment is going to be great for the economy. We're going to finish the, the 2021 very strong from an economic standpoint. From an insurance standpoint, we're going to ride that tide. I think that we'll see all of the premiums uh, that were lost in areas like workers' comp, personal auto, and inland marine be made up by the end of the year. In fact, the economy is going to get back to where it was overall by the end of this quarter rather than by the end of the second or even third quarter has been uh, as had been originally anticipated. From an underwriting and profitability perspective, obviously that's a wild card. Uh, uh, you know, we always say that we really can't tell till we get into the third quarter, which is the peak of catastrophe season. But we already had the equivalent of a Hurricane Harvey with respect to uh, the, the winter storm losses uh, in Texas and elsewhere last month. Uh, this could be somewhere around a 15 to $18 billion event, so it's right up there uh, with major disasters that we've seen in, in recent years, and it would, it's going to potentially rank somewhere between the 8th and 10th most costly cat. So unfortunately, uh, if the rest of the year just progresses at a normal pace, we're likely to wind up with a, with a still above average cat year. So unfortunately, I think uh, from a property perspective, we're going to be, um, it's going to be a worse than anticipated year, even if the rest of the year winds up uh, being um, uh, consistent with, with expectations or, or long-term averages. Uh, but um, a few other challenges uh, in, in the tort environment, areas like DNO, uh, still, still, uh, still seeing a few challenges out there, of course. Um, and as the economy rockets ahead, um, we would expect to continue to see. Uh, uh, this is typically associated with a rise in lawsuits, generally speaking. So the tort side of the uh, equation uh, is going to be under some some pressure, and and the, and the property side remains under pressure. Whereas areas like auto workers comp are going to remain pretty strong. Well, Bob, thank you. As always, it's been uh, enlightening and enjoyable, and I uh, appreciate your time today on the podcast. 
Hey, my pleasure, Chuck. Uh, anytime, and, and, and here's to uh, a, a good finish. Uh, uh, good finish, or how about, let's just say a, a, a better 2021. Let's say that. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back on March 24th with more insurance news and interviews. If you have a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. Remember, you can always send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.